Um, the other appeal that he made that I had mentioned is that if you are in health care and God stirs your heart and wants you to head down to Haiti for a short time, uh, you can uh, contact the church office. I'll get you the right numbers. And they can hook you up with health care ministries. And they can get you down there and you can help. Um, we did that all the time in Cambodia. Healthcare teams came all the time. It was one of our effective, most effective outreaches is we would take healthcare teams into villages that had no healthcare, give, treat their physical needs and minister to their spiritual needs. And it was a very effective team. And so uh, if that's something that you feel the Lord directs you to do, give the church office a call tomorrow and I can get you in contact with the right people. All right. Well, we should get moving on. Let's, um, let's continue on with our series that we started last week, um, talking about financial freedom. And uh, um, I hope last week your kids enjoyed their time. We had our family service last week. We invited the kids in. Every, we're going to do that twice every other month. And I hope they enjoyed it. And you know what? I hope that it allowed you to um, say, hey, I'm not the only one speaking these things into my kids' lives. Uh, the next time you tell your kid to clean his room, you can remind him of, that we talked about work last week and that that work was what work's not a what remember what i said it's not a four-letter word it is a four-letter word but it's not a swear word and that the scripture is really clear and it tells us that that uh, we learned that we are to work hardly as unto the lord and that the beginning of financial success is work and that um that work is a gift from god that sometimes we look at it as a curse but it's not you know i have to go to work no before sin entered this world adam worked in the garden and uh, work is a way to develop us. It's a way to be a blessing. It's a way to give us resources so that we can provide for our families and we can do things like send money off to Haiti and spread the love of Christ. So work is not a four-letter word. Rather, we're to work heartily as on to the Lord. Now today, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to build on that and we're going to talk about just some basics of, of uh, um, stewardship and we're going to end by talking about preparing a financial plan. And what I'm hoping to do is I want to very intentionally help you use our income that God gives us through work um, to, in both a godly way and in a productive way. Because if we do that, it will lead to financial freedom. And, and this is my dilemma. I talked to Bob about this before church. I said, here's my dilemma when I talk about finances in church. Some people say this, you know, they say either I don't need this or they say, well, that's not very spiritual, Pastor. You know, I came to hear about something spiritual. You know, and that's not spiritual. Well, I'm going to tell you, it absolutely is spiritual, and nothing could be further from the truth, because God, in His Word, has given us principles to live by, and here's the reality of the world we live in. The statistics of our world show us that us, evangelical, Pentecostal Christians, generally do not follow the principles laid out about finance found in God's Word. A few years ago, anybody familiar with a guy named George Barna? Ever hear Barna studies, read his studies, read his books? Yeah, Barna is a Christian man who does studies about culture, primarily focusing on church. And uh, he's a statistician. And he basically helps the church world kind of figure out where we're at. Because here's the reality of the world. Often we live in our lives or in the world, we live like this a certain way, but we think we live like this. And we're not really honest about who we really are. Well, Barna is just a math guy. And he comes in and he does research and studies and he finds out what are we really doing, what are we really like, what's really working, what's really not working. And a few years ago, George Barna did a study to find out, and this was a, an interesting uh, proposition he laid out, and everybody thought he'd find out, oh, well, the Christians are just wonderful. This was his, his, his theory. He said, I don't think, or I shouldn't say he didn't know in advance, he said, I want to find out 
do Christians spend their money in different ways than non-Christians. And he's very careful about using terms properly. So he uses born-again Christians, non-born-again Christians, Pentecostals, Evangelicals, and then who don't claim no Christianity. And so he looked at this whole study, studies these broad research groups, and his research found that there was no perceivable difference between Christians as a group in their spending habits and non-Christians as a, in their spending habits. Now, it doesn't mean that as individuals, there's not people who are different. It doesn't mean that maybe every person in this church isn't different. But he found that as American Christians, born again, that's the group we fall into, that those who say we really have had an encounter with Jesus, that there was no appreciable difference, that's the word he used, appreciable difference um, between the two groups that they just really couldn't detect a difference in how we spend. And that often, friends, this is what I've found, Barna's right, that we live simply by the same financial principles as the rest of the world does. We have this book that we say we follow, but this is not the book that we generally use to teach us about how to use our money. Well, we generally find out how to use our money from the world, or we may find out how to pray from God. What I'm here to tell you, God has a lot to say about money. And it is obvious that as American Christians, we generally don't follow biblical principles on finance. Because America, friends, is the richest nation in the world. Is that correct? A few years back, I don't know the number exactly today with our economic crisis, a few years back we had 4% of the world's population. Only, only 4 out of 100 people lived in America. But we had two-thirds of all the money. We're the richest people in the world. But let me tell you the condition of America today. These are the most recent statistics I could come up with on our indebtedness in America as individual families. This is what it says. This is from the, uh, from the, from the government, from the Federal Reserve and the Bureau of Economic Analysis from the federal government. It says this. It says that Americans carry 2.5, 2.56 trillion in consumer debt, which is up 22% since 2000 alone. According to the Federal Reserve Board, the average household credit card debt in America is $8,565, up almost 15% from 2000. The average U.S. student emerges from college carrying $20,000 in educational debt. Household debt, which includes mortgages and credit cards, represents 19% of household assets, compared with 13% in 1980. Share of disposable income that consumers must set aside to service their debt. Now get that. That's how much money of your total income you must have just to pay the debt on the things that you've bought on credit. So people, get this, people complain about when we say something about tithing. Okay? Has risen, just the money set aside to service debt, has risen to 14.5% of the average American income from 11% just 15 years ago. U.S. savings rate which exceeded 8% of disposable income in 1968, stood at 0.4%. Get that point, not for 0.4% at the end of the first quarter of 2008, according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis. So friends, we are the richest nation in the world, but if we really look at it, we're actually the poorest nation in the world. We have more stuff, but we have more debt than the whole rest of the world combined because we live on money that we really don't have. 
And you could say, well, so what? That's not real spiritual. I'm going to tell you why it's spiritual. Why it's so important to me. Because I have never one time sat in my office as a pastor in a counseling session with a husband and wife and had them sit across the table from me, sitting on the couch, or if they're really upset, sitting on separate chairs, and never one time have I had them in there because they were arguing over some point of theology. Not one time they have a husband and wife screaming at each other across the chairs because I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture and she believes in the post-tribulation rapture and we just can't get it together, Pastor. Straighten him out. But I can't count the amount of times that I've had couples sitting in that situation and when we all boiled it down to it came to one thing. It was debt. Money was, the, was causing them a tremendous amount of problems. And I have seen marriages destroyed because debt pressures became so great that people just gave up and walked out the door. And you've seen the same thing happen. You know what else? Why is this so important to me? I have never seen a missions work that needed to be accomplished that was not accomplished because somebody was not willing to go. I've never seen a need where people said, well, just no one cares. I've never seen it happen. There's always some Christian waiting in the wings saying, I will go. But I have seen countless times those who are willing to go do a work who could not go because they didn't have the money. And the reason they didn't have the money often, if they raised their money from from local churches, and this is my opinion why, is because the money that should have been given to them to go was used to service debt on stuff we didn't really need. The 14.5%. That's just going out of our every single week. Every hundred bucks you make, you set $14.5 aside just to pay for debt to have stuff. You know, so we can buy stuff on our credit cards. So I think this is a really important thing. I think finance is spiritual. I think finance is real life. And it's worth us spending four weeks talking about this. Because I want to see us as a church live in financial, in financial freedom. I want us to have a plan so that we can walk forward with God in a way that we're destined to success in the area of our finances. And friends, whether you know it or not, all of us have a financial plan. You don't have to be a financial planner to have a financial plan. All of us have a financial plan. For some people, the financial plan is this. Earn it, spend it. Paycheck to paycheck. Earn it, spend it, earn it, spend it, earn it, spend it. Always waiting for the next paycheck. That's some people's financial plan. You say, well, that's not a plan. It is your plan. If that's, if that's how we live, that's my plan. My plan is that I just earn it and spend it. Others might have these meticulous budgets with you know, sub-funds and funds and, and everything in little envelopes. If anybody going through Financial Peace University, you know you get, you get on your budget. You get all your funds. And, and you'd know where every dime goes. That's pretty much how Suzanne and I have lived our whole life. You know what? It works. We know where every penny goes. And we just put it in funds and that's how we operate. Others, you're somewhere in between. You might not have it all written on paper, but you really understand how it is. Well, the easiest way to see the type of plan that any one of us has, because you may think, well, I'm doing it all right, but you really don't know. The easiest way to see what kind of plan you have is to simply examine your spending habits. Um, examine your checkbook, examine your ATM records, examine your credit cards. And you know what would be an interesting thing to do, a fun thing to do? If I would have secretly this week snuck into one of your houses and stole your checkbook and your credit card bills and your ATM receipts, and then I scanned them and blew them up and we put them up on the screen 
And we said, what can we learn about this person from their spending habits? Because, because here's the truth. The Bible tells us very clearly in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our spending habits will reveal who we are, will reveal what's really important to us and reveal a whole lot about us. Um, because where you spend your money shows where your heart is. You put money where your priorities are. So for example... I believe we could look at somebody's spending habits, and let's use me. You could put your mine up on the wall if you don't want to put yours. We could look at somebody's spending habits, and we could figure out how that person feels about God. I honestly believe that. If there was a record of, of giving generously and giving consistently, consistently to the work of God, that would show up. You know, if you generously support God's activity, and if you gave your full tithe um, of what you earned to the work of God, there would be no way you could hide it because somewhere it would show up. 10% of your income just went off. into the, in, you know, Written off in a check to this place or automatically withdrawn um, to, to that. And if you didn't do that, it would be revealed. Why? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Um, well, I think we could also see how you feel about others. I think we could look in there and say, are there gifts to the poor? Is there a check written out on this date to Haiti? Or money that was taken out of your wallet? To Haiti, um, are there gifts to friends or or relatives in need? Those things would show up if we examined your your spending habits. We'd also see what you enjoy for recreation. You know, if there's five hundred dollars for a new set of golf clubs, and you know, three hundred dollars for golf lessons, and a thousand dollars to the membership of the local golf club, we'd say this person's a pretty serious golfer. Not wrong golf, but we would see that it would be revealed through looking at your spending. Let's see. Um, your spending reveals a lot about you. And the question is, is, do we like what we see when we look at who we are revealed through our spending? And the question that rises out of that then is, are you living in financial freedom? When you look at your money and examine it, does it say that, that, this, that this monster of debt and monster of finances is running you? Or you're running your own life and just using these things to, to live the life that you want, you want to live? See, I want you to understand something today, and you've maybe never thought of this before. And I believe this is absolutely biblically foundational when it comes to finance, and it's this. Managing our money well is part of our commitment to being followers of Jesus Christ. Mon- managing, and I'm not saying you can't have financial problems because, you know what, we can't figure out economies and you make you know bad investments. I... I I stunk up our investments. You know, I went to Cambodia, sold the house, put it all in the stock market in aggressive overseas funds, and guess what? It crashed. And so that's why I have a small house <laughs> because I lost all my down payment. You know, it was going to make a money, bunch. It made nothing. I'm not saying you can't make bad, bad decisions, but managing our money well and long term over a whole period, a whole life is part of our commitment to being followers of Jesus. And we need to understand something very important and very foundational here when we understand this about managing these resources for well, well for God, it's that it's really not our money anyways. As Christians, friends, it's all God's. The, the Bible teaches us that Christian, as Christians, we are stewards 
of God's resources. We are stewards. You understand what that means? A steward is someone who manages the resources of another. That's what a steward is. And we are, you all hear about from scriptures, we're to steward God's resources. That means we're to manage the resources of another. And in the context of our Christianity, stewardship is you and me managing what resources God has given to us for His glory. That's what Christian stewardship is all about. It's about us managing what resources He's given to us. And understand this, He's given us all different resources. So you're not compared to me or to somebody else, you're just you. And we're to manage those resources um, that were given to us by God for the glory of God. And so God gives us things to manage. And you say, well, what? What are the resources that God has given you to manage? Friends, He's given you your abilities. Some of you have great jobs. You make a lot of money. You have a great job. You know why you have that ability, why you have that job? Partially. I'm not saying you haven't worked hard. It's because God gave you the ability to do it. Somebody else can't do your job. We've got a couple engineers here. Guess what? I can never be an engineer. I can't do it. It's not, my, it's, not my, it's not my brain to do that. You know what? There's certain things I can't do and certain things you can't do. The abilities that you have to do what you do have come from God. So it's a resource that must be managed for God. The time that you've been given. You know, some people say, I'm just always so busy. You know what? We all have the same 24 hours every single day. We all choose how we spend our 24 hours. It's not, it's, it's not a surprise. We make choices that determine how we manage those 24 hours for the glory of God. He's given us all 24 hours. The income that we have, God's given it to us. You know, and the list of all the things that we can be managed, that we need to manage for the glory of God, I think can be summarized in one word. Everything. That's what we have that's supposed to be managed from God that He gave to us. See, book of James, chapter 1, verse 17 says this. It says, Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from God above, coming down from the Father of lights. Everything we have comes from God. And as Christians, it's been given to us, and then we have to steward it for us. And I think there's really, there's really three things we need to understand to understand Christian stewardship properly. The first thing is this. We need to realize and believe that everything really is God's. And for some of you, that's going to be a challenge. Because you know what I had actually had people say to me? You know, I don't have my wallet. Take my wallet out so I don't have it in my pocket. They'll pull out their credit card and they'll say, whose name's on the top of that? And mine would say Mark Larson. They'd say, it's mine. And I'd say, you're wrong. If I could peel back your head and look for a stamp, I'd say, God's. You know, he created you. You know what? Just because your name's on it doesn't mean it's yours. The first step in proper Christian stewardship is realizing that James is really correct when he says, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above. It's all from God. So everything is really God's. Keenan, guess what? Your Harley is God's. That Harley is really God's. And I know you know that's why I picked on him. That motorcycle is really God's. You know what? Um, my fishing boat is God's. It's not really mine. Everything in your house is God's. It's all God's. So that's the first thing in Christian stewardship. The second thing is this. That as a steward who realizes that everything is God's, you wake up in the morning and you say, all of this is yours, God. That a Christian steward then says, I need to manage these resources well for God's benefit. That I have to use these resources in such a way that it brings glory to my God. 
I have to use them in such a way that when God looks down, He says, Mark, you're doing a good job. And we see all kinds of, of um, illustrations in Scripture, all kinds of parables where Jesus teaches this, where He says, I give so much to one person, and so much talent to another, and so much to another, and I send you away and I say, do something, and then we come back and He says, what have you done with what I gave you? That's Christian stewardship. It's saying that everything is His and now I have to manage those resources for God's benefit. But then, guys, here is the most important thing about this, point number three. Point number three is where the glory comes in. Point number three is where the blessing comes in. That as we manage these resources for God, God supports us. That if we live by a proper Christian stewardship model, we understand the third point. The third point is, He doesn't just have me manage it and I survive on my own. No, it's all His. I manage it for Him. And then God supports me. God takes care of me as I manage His resources for His glory. And God takes care of those who work for Him, doesn't He? He takes care of us. If we understand it's all His, guess what? If we're going to say this, it's all mine, He'll say, okay, Mark, go at it yourself. And when you fall on your face, come back to me. He, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't control us like a robot. He says, go ahead and do it. But He wants us to understand as we mature that it's all His. We get up in the morning and we say, how do I manage these resources for the glory of God? And as I do that, He takes care of me along the way. Friends, how incredibly freeing to know that. To know that it doesn't matter how bad the economy is. Pastor Bruce said it last week. He said, God's not controlled by, by recessions. He's not. You think he saw this coming? I think he saw this recession coming. God's not controlled by recessions. When we live in a proper stewardship, by a proper stewardship model, especially in hard times, we can just know that God takes care of those who are managing his resources right. So here, let's get kind of practical. With all that kind of theory, that's kind of saying it's all God's, we manage it for Him, but how do we really do it? Where's the rubber hit the road? How do we really manage God's resources properly for Him? Well, I say this. I'm a simple guy and it just works for me. I think you have to have a simple plan. I think there's a simple plan that each one of us has to have that can help us manage the resources of God properly. I'm not saying it's the only plan. I'm saying there's other plans that can work too. But I want to suggest to you a simple plan that is absolutely not original with me. It's been taught because it's kind of biblical principles. It's been taught for years and years and years by all kinds of people and all kinds of denominations. And it's a plan that is the best way to describe it. It's called the 10-10-80 plan. The 10-10-80 plan, a simple plan. You don't have to follow this one exactly, but it, guess what? It's how Suzanne and I live our lives and, and God's taking care of us. And not only that, God has taken care of us, and I don't use it as, as a bragging thing, but God has taken care of us when four times in our career we have get left everything and started over with nothing, with zero, for the glory of God. Literally quit jobs, lost income, gave up insurance, moved in basements with our, with our family and said we have not nickel to pay, to, to rub, two nickels to rub together, but God, you want us to do it. And every single time, God has taken care of us. You know what? God does no respect of people. If he'll do that for me, he'll do it for you. And a lot of you have greater stories than I have of how God does that. Well, one of the reasons that God's been able to do that in our life is because we've always lived by the 10-10-80 plan. The 10 10 80 plan simply goes like this. It's 10%, 10%, 80% is what it represents. And the first 10% is this. First 10% simply goes to God. The first 10% of every dime you make, according to scriptures, is supposed to go to God. Malachi chapter 3 says, tree? Malachi chapter 3 says, bring the full tithe, a full 10%, into the storehouse. And in Malachi 3, read it this afternoon. It's a great story of what happens if you don't. Um, and God says, I'll bless you if you do. 
You know, I had a funny story one time. Right, I was part of a funny story one time. Um, we were pastoring in another state and we were building our first building ever. And I was the general contractor of the building program, which I never want to ever do again. And, um, and I was walking through the building with the inspector. Ever tell you this story? Walking through the building with the inspector? And we're walking and we're, I'm with the guy who's inspecting the plumbing and the heating. And he's just going on. He was, went to some church and he didn't like churches and he didn't like pastors. And he's just railing the whole time against church, 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 church. And I've got to be incredibly nice because he needs to pass my boiler so that we can actually have heat, which is important in Upper Michigan, and, um, and have church. And so we're in there and we're looking at the boiler and he goes, You know what? I don't mind paying a tithe, but who gives the preacher a right to say I ought to pay 10%? And I'm thinking, how do I answer this? And I said... Tithe means 10%. What do you mean? I said, what does half mean? He said, 50%. I said, the word tithe means 10%. It doesn't mean give something. The word tithe, when it says bring your full tithe into the storehouse, the word means 10%. If it said bring the full half into the storehouse, it would mean 50%. But it says bring the full tithe into the storehouse. The first 10% goes up. This goes to God. This simply means bring 10% of what you earn to the place that you worship at. Do it consistently. Never miss. Because tithing is a biblical principle. And friends, when you obey God's um, teaching in, of being a tither by giving Him the first 10%, what happens is you honor God, and God then will honor you back financially. That's what Pastor Bruce referred to when he took the offering today. Tithing, my friends, opens up the possibility for God to divinely supply for your needs. Malachi 3, read it, is really clear. It says, if you don't do this, you basically handcuff God so that he cannot pour out his financial blessing in your life. He says, but if you will give me the first 10%, what's it say? He said, I will open up the what? The windows of heaven and pour out a blessing from the storehouses that you cannot contain. And I'm telling you, I've lived it. I've got 25 years of Christianity under my belt. It's worked. I give God the first 10% and he blesses me back for doing it. I don't know, I think you said last week, the 40,000 mile tires go 60,000 miles. I can't explain how it works. I can't explain how it stretches further. But it does. And the reason it does is because God's in the equation. And we don't tithe, we take God out of the equation. And you know, it's amazing to me. The Bible very clearly teaches, do not test God. Remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan after 40 days of fasting? And one of the times he, 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 um, Satan's tempting Jesus, Jesus' response is, you're not supposed to test God. Remember that? There's one place in the Bible, only one place, and you take it from cover to cover, that it says, test me. And it's in the area of tithing. God says, test me. Give me the first 10%, and I'll prove to you that I'll pour a blessing into your life. It's the only place in the entire scripture where God says, test me on this. And you know why? Because God knows how much money means to us. Money is a revealer of where our heart's at. Jesus says it over and over and over through Scripture. He wants to see where we're at. He talks about our money. Because money reveals what's important to us. It reveals what we think about things. And he goes, you know what? I want you to reveal what you think about me. So I'm going to have you do something that's going to take some faith. I'm going to have you take the first 10% of everything you earn and give it to me. And if you do, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to bless you for doing it. 
And friends, the biblical principle, and it works. I've put this to test, this, this principle to test ever since I came to Jesus, and he's proven to be faithful over and over and over again. And I can really say this. I really don't ever worry about my financial condition because as a tither, God will provide for me. You know, I've at times had to change my spending habits. When I've done those times where God has challenged me to quit my job and leave and go start a new ministry, guess what? Going down to spending nothing on anything, but one thing I never did, I never stopped paying my tithe. Sometimes my income went down to almost nothing, so my tithe was smaller, but that's the thing about a tithe. The tithe is based on what you earn. And so if you earn a little, you pay a little. You earn a lot, you pay a lot. But God's saying, I want to see how you, I want to see if you really trust me here. He says, if you do it, you showed me trust, then I can pour out an abundant blessing in your life. And I think this, in a room this size, I think there's some of you in here who have to take a step of faith. You need to take a step of faith in this area, and you need to put God to the test. And I say, just test Him. If it doesn't work, stop. Not between you and me, it's between you and God. If God says you can test Him, I believe you can test Him. Put Him to the test on this area, and say, God, I'm going to obey you by faith. And I'm going to begin to be a tither. I'm going to do it regularly, consistently. The first check we write out every single week, have forever, for 20 years of marriage, goes to tithe. And God takes care of you when you do it. So that's the first 10%. Second 10% is this. 10, 10, 80. Second 10% goes to savings. The second, and you say, I can't afford it. Yes, you can. It might have taken you a while to get there. It might, I'm not saying you can start this today. I'm saying you can work towards it. But the second 10% goes to savings. Proverbs 21.20. This is the story that America needs to listen to because I told you the stats about saving in America. Proverbs 21.20 says this, The wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends all that he gets. Proverbs 21.20. The wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends all that he gets. What did we just learn from the statistics about America? The writer of Proverbs would say we're foolish because we spend all we get. The wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person saves, uh, spends, foolish person spends what he gets. The second person that you need to pay every single week is yourself. Guess what? You work hard and you deserve it. Aren't you sick of paying everybody else? Don't you get tired of it? The second person that you need to pay is yourself. So take 10%. And again, I'm not being so naive as to say you're not in a situation today. Um, you're in a situation today that maybe you're handcuffed by debt. You need to get out of debt. You need to start doing this. And it might be incremental. I wouldn't say do that with your tithing. I'd say open up the window of blessing and start being a tither if you're not. But the savings part, you might have to work up to it because you put yourself in a situation where it doesn't seem possible right now. But I'd say once you, your plan, this is about a long-range plan, and for you young people in here who haven't started yet, you turned 18, Miss Pozo, 10, 10, 80. So you're not 20 years down the road having to say, I can't do it because I don't have the money. 10, 10, 80. Give God 10%. Start putting 10% of every nickel you ever earn in a savings account and then learn to live on 80. And we'll talk about that in a little while. So you take 10% off the top and you put it away in long-range savings or in some kind of investment fund. You know, Learn to let your money work for you. Learn to get, get interest on your money instead of paying interest. And this isn't savings for some big new toy. Or some vacation. Guess what? Suzanne and I did not touch our savings to go on our cruise. Didn't do it. Matter of fact, the reason we never went on a cruise before, although she's wanted to forever, is we did not have the cash to do it. And for whatever reason, this year, God knew it. We came into an inheritance this year that allowed us to pay for most of our, most of our cruise. And had we not got the inheritance, we would not have done it. 
because we'd not have had the extra money because 10% goes to God, 10% goes to savings. We, didn't have, we wouldn't have had the money above that to go on a cruise. And so it's not for a vacation, it's not for a toy, it's for saving for retirement and for emergencies. And here's the key. key. Right now, some of you feel like you're in an emergency because of our economy. And I understand that. There's people losing jobs, people losing homes because of it. I understand that. And I'm not in any way making light of it. If a person lives in the 10-10-80 plan, you've built up a reserve. And when times do get really bad, although money's put away for savings, um, for retirement, you still can access that if you have to. Not to go on a cruise, but to keep your home. So you put 10% to God, 10% to savings, and then the last one, 80%, the remaining 80% goes to everybody else. With the 80%, you pay for your household, you pay for your food, your clothes, your cars, your vacation, your recreation, your debt retirement. Everything else comes from the 80%. Even additional giving, if God leads. And I will tell you this, God usually does as you mature and as income increases. He usually leads you to live on less and give away more. You learn to live on 80%. You say, is that really reasonable? I'm going to give you a practical example of how it works. I told you a story a second ago. And I'm using myself as an example because you can look at my life and say, you know, um, if it worked for him, why wouldn't it work for me? When we moved back from Cambodia and we came here, first thing we did is we, bought the, we rented the cheapest apartment we could rent. It was tiny, two bedrooms. We spent no money because we had to live within our income. And then we started shopping for a house after, what, eight or nine months of living in that teeny, tiny apartment. We started because we weren't going to live outside our means. Then, and you know what? And we're people who have lived and owned, you know, 3,000 square foot homes in, you know, nice places and had nice, nice homes in the past. We lived in a little 400 square foot apartment to live within our means. And then we started looking for a home. And we, we, because the interest rates were bad and the economy was bad, we could have bought something very large. But we looked at it and we had lost a bunch of money in investments, um, like a bunch of you did, but I was at the bottom of the stock market and I had to pull it out at that point if I didn't want to stay in the 400 square foot apartment. And so what I had to do is I pulled it out at a time and I said, honey, this is a horrible financial decision, but if we want to get in the house, we have to. Well, the money we had determined the house we could buy. So instead of buying another 3,000 square foot house, we bought a 1,300 square foot house. Why? Because we had to live within the 80%. See, you know what the mortgage guys told me? Well, mortgage guys are great. And if you're a mortgage guy in here, I'm, praise the Lord, you gave me loans. You know what they told me? Oh, you can afford it. I was looking at the dream house. We, we saw the dream house. 14 acres of land. 3,500 square foot house. Needed some repairs, but it was pretty new. Out, out, out on Cold Springs Road. I talked to Dave about it. It was the dream house. Deer in the back. I looked at the house and there was a deer in the backyard. This is a sign from God. It was. There were turkeys running through the backyard. It's God. And I went to my mortgage guy and he said, you can afford that. And I'm crunching numbers and I'm saying, I can't afford that. I'm looking at the taxes. I'm looking at the heat. I'm looking at the upkeep. He goes, you can do it. Everybody does it. And I said, but everybody else starts with 100%. I start with 80. And when I looked at it, starting with the 80, we looked at it and said, we couldn't afford a dream house. And we said, forget the dream house, stick within the 80%. And so we made a decision based on 80% of our income instead of 100% of our income. That's just what God is saying. Just live by some, some practical guidelines. And here's the deal. The time to make the guidelines in anything in life, whether it's financial or, or moral or spiritual, is not when you have to make the decision. The time to make the guidelines is when you're not in the situation, so you don't have to think about it, because when they, it was the dream house. I wanted it. 
It had the big jacuzzi bathtub in our in the master bedroom. It was gorgeous. You know, I could I could open up the bathroom window, Tom, and shot the deer out the back door. <laughs> there were rabbit tracks everywhere. I'm looking at the backyard. It's covered in rabbit tracks. I'm like, this is from God. But you know what? Emotions had no part to play in it. You know why? Because when I looked at 10, 10, 80, my 80% could not allow me to pay the mortgage, pay the electric, pay the, pay the taxes, pay the snow plow because on a private road. Couldn't done it. And so the numbers didn't add up. And we said, forget it. So instead of the 14-acre dream house, we're 1,300, 1,300 square feet in the middle of Grafton. You know, and that's okay. I don't cry about it. I don't whine about it. I don't wish every day I was somewhere else. The 10-10-80 plan helped me to make my decision. I didn't have to fret and pray and say, Oh God, is this your plan? It wasn't God's plan. Because it would have stretched me too thin. That's what God wants us to get to, where we just live by, by simple principles laid out in His Word. So friends, what's the plan? We pay God first, then you pay yourself. And then the living expenses um, come out of the 80%. And then guess what? When you pay the 80%, or when, you, when, you, when you're living on the 80%, and you find out at the end of the month hey, I paid my taxes, I paid my mortgage, I paid this, everything's paid for and I got some money left over. You know what? Go have some fun. You know what? I came from a vein of Christianity that taught me you could never have fun. And money was, you're never supposed to spend it. Well, God's shown me it's not true. So you know what? Because I bought a small house this year, you know what I was able to do? I saw it on Craigslist. It was a gift from God. It was the other gift. A thousand bucks for a 16-foot sea nymph with a 40-horse avenue on the back on a trailer. A thousand bucks is worth five thousand. And guess what? I had paid my rent and I would paid my taxes and I would paid my house and I still had a thousand dollars left over. And I could go down and drive to Spring Green and give a guy a thousand dollars and say, I want your boat. You know what? That's how God wants it to be. There's nothing wrong with buying something nice. But the fact of the matter is, we got to first of all pay God, pay our savings, pay the rest of our bills, and then enjoy the things. Take a trip, buy a toy, or be a blessing to somebody else. That's the 10 10 plan. You know, if there's money left over after the 80%, do what you feel led by God to do. It doesn't mean just go burn it all. Do what you feel you're a manager of it. If God will tell his managers at times, go on a cruise. That's great. I'm glad God said go on a cruise. Because in February, when you're freezing... I'm going to be in the Southern Caribbean. And I'm glad, with my wife, without my children. It's going to be great. You know, I love my kids. But we've never had a week alone without them. You know, I think one time. It's going to be great. You know, so I hope. So, uh, friends, a simple plan like this works. And here's the deal. It leads to financial freedom. So the question is, why don't we generally live like this? And Barna says we don't. Barna, some, some of us do, but Barna says as a whole, we don't. And the reason we don't do it, the reason we don't do this is because I believe we know ourselves too well. And we say, it'll never work for me. You know why? Because there's reasons why we'll divert from the plan. Because we know we just like to buy stuff. We like to spend. And there's the flaw in that. We believe that buying something new will make us happy. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't. We have to have stuff. There's no doubt about it. We have to have a car to get to work. But buying something new does not make us happy. Church, listen to me. Living in freedom brings joy. A new toy cannot bring you joy. 
not being stressed out every month on how you're going to pay your bills. And some of you are living there right now, and I'm not condemning you in any way. I'm saying start to implement the plan. Start to make the right adjustments. And that's not condescending. I'm just encouraging you. But when you live in financial freedom, there's joy that comes out of living in financial freedom that a new toy will never do. So here's my advice to all of you. Establish a plan if you don't have one, like this one or some other plan, uh, 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 Dave Ramsey's plan that's a little different. Establish a plan and then covenant to keep it before God. And husbands and wives, come to an agreement and hold each other accountable. And if one of you is a budget sabotager because you just have to get that new pair of high heels or golf clubs, I'm balancing it out here, or a boat. My, my boat was only because we were in a budget. <laughs> um, only, I'm saying, if one of you is a sabotager, maybe both of you are, you covenant together to say financial freedom's worth holding each other accountable. Because it is. Financial freedom is worth holding each other accountable. And here's the key. Only you can do this. I can't do it for you. But God will help you and He will bless you if you'll live this plan for Him. And friends, um, when you live by godly principles, we'll find financial freedom. And it's a wonderful thing to have. And here's what I feel bad about. I feel bad that for most of us, this has not been the book that's taught us how to live by our finances. And a lot of you are in the situation you're in, not because you're bad or you're dumb or you made wrong choices. It's because somebody taught you to live a different way. That the expert sat down with you and said, you can afford that. That the expert told me, you can afford that, Mark, that dream house, it's yours. And, and that no one told you a plan in advance. I'm here to say, you know what? If you're in a situation that's tough, I believe God can help you work out of it. He didn't get in a situation overnight, so it's not going to be fixed overnight. It's going to take some time. But work towards the goal. But for the rest of you who are younger, you don't have any debt yet, Josh? Listen to what I'm saying, okay? Listen to what I'm saying. Because it's going to save you heartache later. Start like this from the very beginning. And it will save you a ton. Right, Daniel? It'll save you a ton of difficulty later in your life. So, we're stewards of God's resources. He's given us a lot. Even if it's not financially, He's given you gifts and talents and abilities to be employed for the glory of His kingdom. Some of you say, I'm past earning years, I'm on retirement. You know what? You might not have a lot extra, but you know what you do? You still have you. And you is great. And God wants to use you to be a blessing to the world and the kingdom around, around you. We just live it for God. We say, God, I'm going to covenant to a simple plan. Simple as I know. 10% to God, 10% to savings, 80% to live on. And then just every day say, God, I'm your steward. How do you want me to live? How do I spend the 80%? Does that make sense? Amen. Well, there's one more thing I want to just share as I close. And you might say this is a big jump, but I think there's some of you, this jump has maybe happened in your spirit some way in the middle of this, this conversation today. There's a freedom that is even more important than financial freedom. It's spiritual. We're talking about practical stuff here. We're talking about physical, um, financial freedom. But there's another one that's just as practical as spiritual freedom. And friends, you know, God has given us a way to have spiritual freedom also. And He wants to break the chains of sin and bondage and fear and doubt in your lives. And he, the way He's done it, He's given us a Savior. And His name is Jesus. 
And maybe this discussion today about finance has revealed to you that, that not only have you been putting God maybe not in first place in your finances, but you've not been putting him first place in your life. I want you to understand something today. He wants to be first place in your life. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond to that today. So I'm going to invite you all just to stand with me. And before I even mention anything about prayer for finances or anything, I want us just to have a moment, because I just felt led of the Lord to do this as I prepared, that some of you in here, maybe what's happening today is you're thinking about finances, but that's making you understand that that there's other areas in your life where maybe there's, there's some chains and one of them is spiritual. And so this morning, you've been in a great time of worship this morning, a time of just allowing the Holy Spirit to flow in this place. And if you're visiting, generally it's, it's not always everybody at the front praying, but that was great and we'd love it all the time. But it's just, it was just a great time today. Because of that, our service has gone a little longer, but that's okay. And you're here today. And you're saying, you know what? I know inside of my life that Jesus is in first place. That Jesus is not number one in my life. And I feel like I'm in bondage. I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like there's something spiritually for me. Well, friends, there is. His name is Jesus. He loves you. The Bible says that he sent, that God sent his son Jesus into this world so that anybody who recognized that they were lost in sin could come to him, have their sins forgiven and be united with God. And if you're feeling separate from God today, God wants you to bring you into his family. I would encourage everybody in this place just to close their eyes and bow their heads. You say, Pastor Mark, when I look into my life, I know that I'm not right with God. But something's going on inside of me today. Something's happening inside of me today and and I know that I want something more. I know that God brought me to this date on this time. And I want something more. Something's pulling at you. Friends, that pulling is the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him or pulls him. That's a pulling of the Holy Spirit from God the Father. And He's saying, I love you. And I want to free you from your sins and your chains. And I want to give you a new life in Jesus Christ. I want you to stop walking after the ways you've been going. And I want you to now turn a different direction and follow after me. And I want you to become a child of God. Well, if that's happening inside of you this morning, I want to give you a chance to respond. You say, Pastor Mark, I want to ask Christ into my life today. I want to surrender my life to him and I want to ask Jesus into my life. I need my sins forgiven and I really want to go and begin a journey with Jesus. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If that's you today, I want you to, I want you to respond to that. I want you to do it just between you, me, and God. No one's looking around. And you say, Pastor Mark, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to turn to Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want you to slip up your hand. When I see your hand, all right. Okay, okay, you can put them down. I see all three of you. Anybody else? You say, I want to ask Jesus into my life today. Praise the Lord. I'm going to pray. 
We're going to pray together. I'm going to invite the whole congregation just to pray a simple prayer together with us this morning. Nothing magical about the words. We're just going to talk to God. We're going to ask Jesus. You're going to ask Jesus to come into your life. You're just going to pray this prayer. And the Bible says that when you do that, God's going to respond. So I invite you to pray this prayer with me this morning. Dear Jesus, I need you today. And I ask you to come into my life. I know that I've sinned. And I know I'm not perfect. But I thank you that you accept me. And I ask you to come into my life right now and to wash my sins away. And on this day, I give my life to you. And I want to begin a journey where you are my leader. And so from now on, I put you in first place. And I thank you. And I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come into my life. Give me the power that I need to live the life you want me to live. And I receive this salvation now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who responded this morning, I want you to know you didn't just pray a prayer. You just talked to the creator of the universe. And he has come into your life. But I want you to understand something. You've just taken a first step in a journey with Jesus. There's a lot more steps to be taken. Every day I'm learning. Every day I'm growing. Every day I'm finding out stuff I didn't know the day before. And we want to help you on that journey. We want to help you to grow and and be developed. We as a church are here for you. We want to be here to help you grow and develop. But there's something I want you to do today. If you've asked Jesus in your life today, at the, at the end of our service, we're just going to close in prayer until people are going to come and pray. I'm going to invite you back in the, by the fireplace in the back of the sanctuary, back, in the, back on my left back here. There's going to be a couple back there. They're going to go back there and they're going to have some literature for you. They're going to have some information. They want to talk to you about what, what just happened in your life. And they're just going to explain some simple stuff. They're going to give you a a, a little booklet that explains what's going on in your heart, what God is doing in your life, and some information for some Bible studies to go forward and give you a Bible if you don't have one. And they're just going to give you their name and and be offered themselves if if you need any help. Because that's what we're here for. God built this church so that we can help people grow and develop. And so if you ask Christ in your life today, before you leave, I encourage you, go to the back by the fireplace. This couple, raise up your hand back there for me, um, right here. Um, Dick Fister and, and his family, they're going to be back there for you. And they're going to talk to you about Jesus. Don't be embarrassed. You know, If you don't want to, you don't have to, but I encourage you, go back there before you go. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for an awesome day in your presence. Thank you, God, for a wonderful time in your in your church, in your family. You've ministered to us today. You've blessed us. You've healed people. I believe it. And now, God, there's those who have said, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. And God, I pray for those. I pray that they would just begin this journey and it would be the greatest journey in their lives and that, God, their lives would be transformed by the love of Christ as they go forward with you. Father, now, whatever needs we have, I just pray that as we close this service in worship, that Lord, whatever anybody would have, if they want to come forward and be prayed for, God, that that you would just minister to their needs. 
Thank you, God. Church, if you feel this one, you would just come and find a place to prayer. When you feel dismissed by God, quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in Christ. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there.